I started doing these workshops, and then what happened is I had was exploring other things like other spirituality, meditation, and uh, martial arts and stuff like that. And then uh, I heard about this message, which was not so much about finding a new technique of meditation, but asking who's the meditator, yeah? to actually see who needs to do something. Because there's an assumption, I'm always driven, but who is it that's driven? Yeah? Is there actually a someone there that needs all this freaking help? Or, if it, or is it more of like a mental story? I don't know. So they would ask, they had a very simple technique, which was subjective questioning. And it would boil down to one of the basics one, is let's say if my head was worrying about next week, you would just throw in this question of who is it that's worrying about next week. It would have no opinion about worrying or not worrying, you know, bad, worrying, good, none of that. It had nothing to do with it. It just asked who was the subject, who was doing the worrying, yeah? And what would happen in this subjective questioning, it would cause my mind to pause. The mind would stop because it has never been looked at. It's always the one that's looking, but it's very rarely where your attention is turned on it, yeah? Usually when our attention goes in, it's into selfing. You never question the self. You just listen to all, you see all the thoughts and everything, yeah? But in this case, you're questioning the idea of being you. And it's not saying there isn't a you or there is a you. It's just questioning it. And what I found out when I questioned it, the first thing that would arise when I asked, who am I? It would say me. Yeah? (laughs) And then when I asked, well, who's this me? There would be no answer. And in fact, the no answer is the answer, in a sense. You are that space or you are that that mind that hasn't taken, it is not a form. You see your original face, and you may call it nothing, but nothing is really the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah? To really get nothing, hopefully that's what happens here, you'll leave with nothing. Because every night and every day we're looking for something. Yeah? We have acquired so much something, and it usually boils down to nothing. So let's just start at nothing. Because what you inherently are, I believe, is what you're seeking. There's a very famous statement from St. Francis of Assisi that says, what's looking is what you are looking for. It doesn't say who's looking. It says what's looking. So what's looking? What is that that's looking right now? The mind gives it a name and calls it me. But if you look further into it, you may not find out, you may find out it, it may not be that me. And when it's not you, when it's not you, the thought system that surrounds that idea of being a you, your mind loses interest in it. Yeah? And the freedom doesn't come from struggle, it comes from disinterest, really. You stop listening, you don't have much interest in the thought system yapping all day. Yeah? And if you look at it, most people, their experience of what they call fear, fear is a valid emotion. It happens if something threatens you now at times, yeah? and the adrenaline gets rushed rushes through the body, and you see the take flight or fight. But most people aren't suffering from fear. They're suffering from mental anxiety. Their mind is producing the physiological effects of fear. But what it's producing it from is not, a moment, is not an event that's in this moment. It's in a place called what's not happening. Yeah? In other words, you're either worrying about something that you believe is going to happen to you next week, or you're ruminating over something that once did happen to you. Yeah? So, you know, there was a, in the New Testament, there's a big deal made out of Jesus Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. 
it was a pretty big miracle, if you want to, you know, size up miracles. And he said, but the fact is, Lazarus as, was at least alive once. We're bringing shit up from nowhere. Yeah? We're, we're producing an effect out of nothing. Yeah? If, you, if, if there's a worrying about next week and you have faith in that system that's presenting that next week in a bad light, what do you feel like now? Contracted, racy, anxious, yes? And what also happens is you pretty much get dismissed from here. You're here for all intents and purposes, but you're not here because you're in that there and then. You see it with people. They come in a room, and the room's really peaceful. There's no threat here. It's a really nice little oasis, but they're flipping out because they're not actually reacting to this moment. They're reacting to a thought about a past moment and a future moment. And in fact, though, you cannot bring what you're thinking about here. You can't bring it here. I'd like to see it. Worry, think about next week, and you're going to have cancer, let's say, next week. Bring it now. Let's see it. It's impossible. It's only brought to us by thought. Yeah? So why is it that we're engaged in that thought system? We believe it's about us. It's as simple as that. And I, I sincerely know that when I was a kid, I did not have that thought system in place yet. I grew into this idea of being a self. I grew into it. And if you have grown into it, you can grow out of it. But the problem I find is that the mind has become identified with that idea of being a self. And when you're identified, you don't know it. Because it feels like you. So every time a thought happens, there's a feeling, I'm the thinker of it. Every time. Every thought is preceded by being the thinker of it. And you may have an immunity to someone else's, else's thoughts, but you have no immunity to what you call your thoughts. Yeah? They can produce a huge effect. And someone could be suffering from a huge effect in their head, and you can be sitting right next to them, and it's not contagious. You don't pick it up. Because they're flipping about, out about what's not happening. And it's very obvious to you it's not happening. But the same thoughts, if I was entertaining it with the idea they're mine, yeah, I'm the one who thought them, or they're about me, I would be having a giant hurricane going on in there. So it isn't thoughts, it's the claiming of thoughts. It isn't life that's driving you crazy, it's my life that's driving us crazy. It isn't a problem that's driving you crazy, it's my problem. Because there's only one you that has tons of these problems. Yeah, I had this thing, I think I shared it last night, where when I did my sex inventory, I looked at my relationships and... Seemingly, none of them really worked. And then I looked at what was the one constant in all those relationships. It was me. I was, I was with every one of those women. Yeah? I had never really looked at it that way. But if you see, what's always there for all the problems you've ever had, it's the you that had them. You have to see its, its role in it. Yeah? It's playing a huge role because this apparatus gives meaning to things. That's what it does. Yeah? That's why you and I can be in the same room, but we're having a different experience here. Because your mind is giving meaning to things, and this mind is giving meaning to things. And we, we're suffering the meaning-giving of self-centeredness. That's what we're doing. Every time the thought comes, and then the mind claims it to be about you or mine, and then it injects it with conditional meaning. So a thought that wouldn't scare someone else scares you, totally. Yeah. Because it reminds you of something. Let's say if you feel like you're a fraud. 
and you don't want to be a fraud, I bet you you're going to feel like one thousands of times. Because you're going to be so worried about being a fraud, everything will look like it's yelling at you, you're a fraud. It's just mind. So what happened with me, I started doing these workshops, and then this sort of dawned, this happened to me when I was about 10 years sober, if you want to call it happening. And then I was under the pretense of doing a four-step workshop, but it stopped becoming a four-step workshop. People were coming in with paper and pens. We never wrote anything, you know, because it was like a quantum leap from the nuts and bolts. It was more like the statement of uh, that captures it is on page 84, I think. It was more like, without any thought or effort on your part, you're placed in a position of neutrality. That's sort of what it was like. Without any thought or effort on my part, there was a placement in a point of neutrality which I could never have found because I, can't, I don't have the ability to recognize neutrality. I don't know what it's like. Yeah. But now I know what it's like because I've been placed there. Yes. So it says, with no thought or effort on your part, you'll be placed in a position of neutrality and at one point the problem will not exist for you anymore. Now that's a damn good solution to alcoholism if it doesn't exist for me a day at a time. And what I found when it stabilized in my life is when it stopped existing as me. Because when it's identification as self, that is what you are. You are the problem. Like it says in the book, we don't have problems, we are the problem. The problem is the identification with a mental projection of what you are. Instead of relying on conscious contact, we're relying on a mental process. It can blind us every day. It's just like that. When What happens when you have a desire? Let's say you're sitting here and there's no desire. Everything's pretty open. Your attention's are streaming. As soon as you think you want something that's not here, what happens to your attention? It gets focused. Yeah? In the focusing about that idea, what gets blocked out? Everything else that's happening. Every freaking else that's happening. You forget about this moment because it's not a good enough moment. You're thinking that when I arrive, it's like we use this example. Let's say I had a, uh, I'm sitting in my one-bedroom apartment. It's a pretty nice place. Yeah. I'm really feeling pretty good, and I'm reading a magazine. And in the magazine, they have like a two-page layout of a beautiful couch ensemble. Yeah. And as soon as I see that couch, I realize I'm couchless. Yeah. I have no, there's no couch in this apartment. And right at that point, what was totally acceptable becomes unacceptable now. I think I need a freaking couch. Yeah. And I bet you if I had a couch, I'd meet a girl, and I'd conceive my first child on that couch. And I'd marry that girl, and we'd live happily ever after on that freaking couch. The mind just runs with it. And it sounds nice. It may make you feel a little better, but it invalidates this moment because this moment is seen as couchless. Yeah. It doesn't have it. So the here now gets invalidated by this mental there. Like when I get the couch, or I get the new job, or I get this, or I get that. There's thousands of them. This is just an example. But now, you're now seeking to get to that mental there. So you're like working, I'm going to save up for that couch. And you're calling people who have couches. And then, you know, I'm mad. You didn't tell me how important a couch was before. I have resentments of people. And I'm like, yeah, wait till I get this couch. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the day comes where they're going to deliver the couch. I'm really excited. No one else is, but I'm extremely excited. And I made a nice space for it. And they bring the couch in. And they put it there. And I sit on the couch. And I feel the exhilaration of finally arriving. Yeah? I'm here. But immediately... I, start, I look around, I think, I've got to get matching lamps. Yes? 
I got to get a matching rug. So immediately this mythical there becomes a here again. Yeah? And then I'm on the road to seek to get to that mythical there. And every time you arrive there, it's here. Every time you arrive, wherever that there may be in your head, it's going to be here. Yeah? The quality of here will be the exact same quality of all those theirs. Yeah? So this is what I found with seeking. Self-seeking avails us nothing, whatever that is. Self-centeredness, self-seeking is the root of our troubles. This drive to seek, what's, this, what's the self-seeking? Legitimacy, really. It's just an idea. It's just an idea, and therefore it has to be reinforced every day. And what reinforces it? The thought system. If you look at the thought system, how does your thought system picture you? Just right now, let's everyone, if you like, think about you a week ago. How do you see yourself? As a body, yeah? If I think about myself last year, I picture that situation with me as a body in it, yeah? And all right... Let's say I'm, going, I'm worrying about what's going to happen to me five years from now. How am I pictured as a body? Yeah? So the thought system takes you as a body. If you're relying on that thought system, you're going to feel like you're a body. Yeah? Now, how is a body going to become spiritual? Yeah? How is a body going to have a spiritual condition? It's a body. So it says in our book, the daily reprieve is contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Now, there's a lot of ways to maintain a spiritual condition, but the best one I found is being a spiritual condition. Yeah? Being it. <laughs> being it. Yeah? Which means you have not to be something else. And for me, the self is, is the identification as being a body. And I don't care how much spirituality you get to see and go to and read, it's never going to stick. You have to be vigilant every day because it slips off the body image like a freaking, like a Teflon, yes? But if you are a spirit, if you are a spirit that's functioning through a body, the ball game's totally different, yeah? Because the spirit just has to be what it is to maintain itself. It's incredible, man. It's like if you see a saint and you think, if I do what he did or she did and go where they went, then I'm going to get the same result. But a saint is, what they're doing and, and having is just an expression of where they are. It's not a way to attain it. They're just expressing their freedom through where they are. Yeah? We look at it and we try to use those same steps to get somewhere. But we're already at that point. Yeah? We are awake. We are consciousness. Yeah? You are on right now. There's an indisputable sense of being here. The mental process says it's you that's being here. But what would happen if you inquired a little bit deeper? Who is that you that's being here? That presentation of a you is seen by something. Yeah? What is that which sees the production of the you? I would say that's more of us than what's being produced. Yeah? So here in this room, right now I'm having an experience. I'm seeing you. Yeah? And I could say, all right, there's 20 people here. I'm seeing you. 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 And you can make it 8,000 U's or 8 billion U's, but the same experience, if I just explained what I thought was happening, would be, I'm seeing you. Yeah? And yet, from where you're sitting, you're having the same experience. Yeah? It's I am seeing you. Now, from where you're sitting, this is a you. Yeah? And from where everyone in this room is sitting, this is a you. Yeah? 
Everyone experiences the I, which I would say is the spirit or consciousness, seeing out of the body. So we recognize that. The mind goes, well, I am seeing you. Yet, okay, so now let's say there's millions of yous here. And they take a vote, what I am. Every one of them would vote that I'm a you. Yeah? In their experience, in their seeing, this is a you. Yeah? But my stubborn idea is, I'm, f- fuck that, basically. I'm a me. Yeah? And I'm the only me here. Out of all these yous, I'm a very special you, so special it's given a different name called me. Yeah? <laughs> and, <laughs> it's like a, a bastard wedding of the I, which is spirit, to the you, which is a body, and then it's called me. This is the idea of being a self. And then to keep that... that charade going, the mind has to obsess over it constantly. Because if it doesn't obsess over it, you won't seem to be appearing at all. And actually the highest moments in, in your life are remembered as your own absence, really. Yeah. So they have this thing called epiphanies. Have you ever heard of them? An epiphany? It's like they, sometimes they call it a spiritual event, whatever. But I know for me, you know, if you've ever had an epiphany, you never made a reservation for an epiphany. Yeah, it was sort of something that happened, and it wasn't like you didn't call ahead and say, yeah, get me that Kenny G music pumped in, some candles. And, no, it wasn't, you can't plan it. It just sort of interrupts the storyline of being you, yeah, as a time-based little apparatus. So there, the, there goes the epiphany. And usually when an epiphany ends, something arises. And that, what arises is a thought that goes, I just had this incredible epiphany, Yeah. So the selfing arises, claims its own absence, and makes it an experience it had, which totally neuters what the epiphany was revealing, which is your real nature, which is no-thingness or spirit. Immediately, it will neuter it by claiming it. And that's the main movement of selfing, is the claim. It's not a body, it's my body. It's not time, it's my time. It's not a life, it's my life. It's not a thought, it's my thought. It's not a feeling, it's my feeling. Yeah? <clears throat> it's, it's first reaction, and it's constantly applying it, is the claim. Conscious contact occurs, there's an awareness. The mental process claims that awareness and says, I'm the one who's seeing, I'm the one who's feeling, I'm the one who's tasting, I'm the one who's touching. Yeah? And yet, if you notice it, if you had a, like when I was nine years old, my, uh, this guy, Uncle Fred, who used to visit, you know, at these relatives' parties and he used to give me money behind his back and bought me off, I think. I used to like him for that. And then he passed away. And my mother took me to the funeral. And when I walked by the casket, she says, all right, let's say goodbye to Uncle Fred. And when I walked by the casket, I had a very strong hit. That ain't Uncle Fred. Yeah? There was the body that I had been calling Uncle Fred since I knew him. But with something missing from the body, it was clearly not Uncle Fred. I didn't know exactly what, but it was very clear to this little nine-year-old head, that ain't Uncle Fred. And now, in hindsight, I realize I was constantly taking this as me, and therefore, I took the I as that, as that body that was Uncle Fred. But if you took an I out of that Uncle Fred, the E-Y-E, and uh, it hadn't been damaged, and you put it in a live body, that I would see. It would facilitate seeing. But in Uncle Fred, it will never see again. Yeah? Something's missing, I think, that illuminates or animates our life. And I don't think it's you. And I don't think it's the me. I would say it's the I. 
It's never not here, but it's missing in activating that body. It's sort of like an eye moves through this body and it facilitates conscious contact. If the eye seems to be dismissed, no matter how well the cameras work, you'll never see again through. There's not going to be anyone there to see. It's like a telescope and a scientist. You know, the scientist wants to see the stars. So, so for him to see the stars, he needs some lenses to facilitate that. So he looks through a telescope, yeah? And by looking through the telescope, it, it enables him to see the stars. He sees the form better and better. Yet when he walks away, it's not the telescope that saw the stars. The telescope facilitated the seeing, but it, didn't, it isn't the one that's seeing. It's the scientist, yeah? I would say the guest here is not this body, but it's spirit. And it's spirit that's seeing through these gates of awareness called the ears, the nose, the, you know, the touch, the smell, the taste, and the seeing. And when that, when that guest leaves, the body can be perfectly intact, but nothing's happening through it anymore. Yeah? So to claim myself to be a body is that bastardization of the I through identification with the you and then being crowned me. Yeah? And therefore, when I distribute my attention to yous, there's tons of yous, but when my attention gets distributed to me, there's only one me. And it becomes an obsessive quality. Yeah? It's like you're the only planet and your attention and interest is just revolving around it. Yes, 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 yes. Instead of being dispersed. And I'll tell you, I went into a drug and alcohol program for two years. I had to be institutionalized before I got sober. Yeah? I spent two years in there. And when I left, I had to admit begrudgingly that their life looked my life looked better with them running it than it ever did with me running it. Yeah? Because they never saw me as a me. They saw me as a you. <laughs> yeah? A fucking object that was a junkie with alcoholism. And that was a very clear description of, of this you. But when I take it to be me, I'm totally in denial. I had said, why are they treating me like this? <laughs> don't, they, don't they understand? I need special help. It's me. I'm not like any of you. It's me. <laughs> but they, they totally bypassed the me, and they treated the you, and my you thrived. Yeah? And the I got to have peace somewhat. Yeah? The I could just free range a little bit. It wasn't burdened by this constant obsession of me. The body is incredible. If you just got out of the way, it would probably seek health much better than when you're seeking health as of me. Seriously. I did this once. There's this stuff, uh, I don't know if you heard of candida. You ever hear it? Well, it's like a little, it's like a fungus that gets into the body. And it can cause a lot of trouble with your digestion. So, I feel like I had something for a long, long time. I didn't know what it was. And I was trying to get as any, any way to get relief. So, there was these... It got to a point where they say, probiotics, take a lot of probiotics, yeah? So I got the highest level of probiotics from Whole Foods. I don't know if you have a Whole Foods here. We call it Whole, we call it whole Paycheck. That where I live. But I was spending a lot of money, and I was drinking this freaking 80 billion, you know, beneficial flora things every day for a year. And so and nothing was really happening, so I... I, I got in touch with this lab, Smoky Mountain Lab in uh, Tennessee, and they study shit, really. 
and you send them your shit, and you check out what they, you want them to look into the shit for, and so, you know, parasites and everything. So I made all, and, you know, you pay more money, and I sent it. And I was really looking, hey, you know. So about a week later, they, they didn't send the shit back, thank God, but they sent the, uh, the analysis. And when I looked at it, they say, okay, parasites. No parasites. Oh, for them. And then, I, then it says beneficial flora. None. <laughs> what? I've been spending 48 bucks a week pouring this shit in me for two years. There's absolutely no sign of this beneficial flora. 50 billion of them every day. How could there not be one? <laughs> because unbeknownst to me, there was a bacteria in my body that loved eating that stuff. Yeah? This is what it's like when you run your life on self-will. If you don't know the primary problem, no matter how much solutions you go buy and get and read, it never's going to stick. Yeah. You don't have problems. You are the problem. The sense of you is the problem. Yeah. Because it's not a sense of you. If it was a sense of you, it would be great, but it's a sense of you translated into me. Yeah? Called self-centeredness, called a feeling of being an individual, independent, single entity. Me. Out of all the yous, me. Yeah? This is, to me, the root of the problem. I find that the mind's first addiction is to the idea of being a self. And I think it spawns everything else, really. I think my drinking and using was trying to get relief from self. So what, what became an addiction in my life was actually a solution to the first addiction. At least it seemed to be for a while. And then, so, right? so now that first addiction always stays unnoticed. It always stays unnoticed because it's just rooted in identification as. You're taking it to be you. You're th you and I, some, I don't know, this is just a, my own experience. I'm just putting out this. So if it sounds like I'm saying it's you, it's not you personally, it's you, you know. But this feeling of being Paul is the end product of selfing. This is what the mental process do. I call it selfing. It produces a sense of being a self. We're all in it right now. We're not at the starting point. We're at near the end. And it goes on and on and on. The race never is over. Because you're going to have an imperative to get relief. Yeah? From what? The self. But if you don't see it as something foreign to you, you'll get relief for it. It's a glutton for relief. It'll eat, you read every New Age book, it will eat it up. Yeah? Take on the monk robes. It can be a ill riff as a monk. It doesn't matter what uniform you wear. There'll still be the bondage of self. Yeah? You'll be taking yourself to be a monk. You'll be taking yourself to be this. You'll be taking yourself to be that. That's the end product. We're starting. We're starting, it's already, in a sense, it's already defeated. It's already won. Yeah? Because now you have a feeling of being you. Even when you recognize it, oh, there's selfing going on, and you believe it's happening to you, or you're the one that's doing it. Yeah? I don't know how, in the book, it's, to me, it's such a perfect statement. I shared about it last night. But this idea of being a self, self is what has self yeah, manifested in all these ways. Manifest, it means to appear. So self, manifested in all these ways, is what has defeated us. It's such a beautiful statement because it separates the two, self and us. And if you ask yourself a simple question, everyone in this room would have the same answer. What self defeated us? My self. M-Y. What is mine? It's the act of claiming. It's the act of being identified as. This is mine. 
Yes? This is how self defeats us. Self can't defeat you. It's only the my self can defeat you. Yes? There's got to be a bonding agent that, uh, that s- sticks you to the idea of being a self. And that bonding agent is always reinforced every day by the thought system because the b- thought system takes us to be a body, an individual me. So it says, okay, being convinced that self, manifested in various ways, is what has defeated us. So there should be like a 50-page pause, I think, after that statement. It'd be really nice just to sit there and let that come over us, you know. All right, we are now going to look at its common manifestations. What does it imply when it says it? It doesn't imply you. These aren't your manifestations. It's implying self. And it says, all right, the first paragraph, the next one says resentment is the number one offender. So resentment, in my sense, is an expression of self or a manifestation in one's life. Yeah. So if you have a lot of resentment in your life, self must have carte blanche access into your life, into every topic of your life. And how does it? Because every time it comes to a door called relationship or health or money, when it knocks, when you open it, you call it me. Oh, it's you. Come on in. It's got total carte blanche, and it's, it's like, um, let's say I had a lawn, a beautiful house with a nice big lawn, and I had a, the lawn was pristine, and I used to have a lot of my social life was based on that lawn. We'd have picnics, you know, we'd play like lawn, croquette, whatever. I'd run around in the morning with no shoes on in the morning dew, and it was just really lovely. And so one day, I'm just jump off the porch, and I land in some shit, you know? What? And so it's all over my feet. So I get in, get up on the porch, and the first thing I got to do is I don't wear, I always have to wear shoes now, right? The light gets smaller. This is what happens when self takes over. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So, okay, so now I put shoes on. So now I'm walking around, and I, I know where that shit was, so I stay away, but I step in some other shit. And then I notice it's starting to smell in my backyard. I'm going, Jesus, I got a shit problem, yeah? So what do I do? Most like a good alcoholic, I just close the door and just ignore it, you know? Next morning I go out and I expect it's gone. It's not that there's even more. So what I what do I do? I just hunker down with that with that situation. I just buy pictures of lawns, you know? And I commiserate with other people that have lost the access to their lawns and we get together and we go reminisce about what how great it was to have a lawn. Yes, yes. It was really good, you know. And so then someone uh, hears about our plight. So they come over and they say, hey, I think I have a solution to your problem. I go, I'm totally open to that. I want my lawn back. And he says, all right, a pooper scooper, yeah? And in your case, maybe you should buy two. And if you get good enough at scooping shit, there'll be a time where you have maybe at least a two-by-four piece of your lawn. You can have like a vertical picnic. No sitting down or laying. Just stand there. And only one person can be there, you. But at least you'll have a little bit of your lawn. So you get pretty good. You're picking up shit, you know. And you got double going. And then other people with the problem hear about you. So they start calling you. And they're hey, uh, can you help me with this problem with this shit? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What I learned, the best way to do, you know, use it left and right at the same time like that. And then more and more people hear about you. And then you become like a circuit speaker. Now you're going around the country talking about this is the best way to deal with shit, yeah? Just get really good, and you have autographed models of pooper scoopers and everything like that. And then one day a guy comes and tells, says, hey, I think I have a pro- uh, solution to your problem. And you go, what problem? You know, the self thing has become identified as being a, a professional pooper scooper, you know, a renowned authority on how to clean up shit. 
and you got investment, the mind, so you don't really want to hear about a solution. Hey, I have no problem. I'm on a circuit. I'm writing books. Got autographed scoopers. You like to have one? I said, no, 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 no. So you go, okay, well, if you don't want to know, take it easy. But hey, if someday you want to find out, just go find the dog. <laughs> what? Yeah, go find the dog. Ding! The shit is coming from some source. If you go to the source and get rid of the source, you won't have to have pooper scoopers. Yeah? The shit will stop showing up. But the problem with us is we are the dog. And we love that dog. So we believe the best we can do is therapize, socialize, clean up, minimize the damage. But we can't entertain being radically free from what we're identified as. It's impossible for the mind to entertain... Well, how people do when they finally entertain that, they usually kill themselves. They want to get free from that, but they take that to be them, they kill themselves. They don't drink again, but they commit suicide. But can you imagine if you realized the dog wasn't you, and you found out it was a dog, you'd get rid of that dog like that. As soon as you took the my or the your out of it, it's not your dog. You'd walk away and never fucking look back. This is what it's like. As long as I'm taking it to be me, I can't entertain being free from it. I just can't. It's impossible. Because I tried for years. Until I heard this message and I looked at it like as a parasite, which I believe it is. Like a mental parasite. That's what I think alcoholism is. It's a very strong one. And it takes us over like hosts. But it has the same characteristics that move through each host. And in 1935, they found a solution to it, which was the AA. Yeah? One alcoholic helping another. Why? Because one of the main uh, drives of that disease is terminal uniqueness. You really don't believe anyone feels like you, or has done what you've done, or thinks like you. And yet we have meetings all around the world where you sit with other people that have been taken over by it, and when you hear them share you can only come to one or two conclusions after a few months. How did they get my thoughts? How did they get my feelings? And, you know, your special secret of a, of a heinous act you're never going to share, they're blurting it out at a noonday meeting. What? How could they possibly, how could it be mine? Yeah? That's the whole beauty of it. It's not yours. We've all been taken over by the similar thought system, and so we, act, we react to life similarly, we think about life similarly, and we feel about life very, very similar. Yeah? And when we share it, that the cat's left out of the bag, if a normal person comes in, they are gassed, but we're all laughing, because we identified with what's taking each other over. I do not identify with who you are. I identify with what's taking you over, because it took this over. I've lived underneath that tyranny, and so have you. That's our commonality. Yeah? But the true commonality is we're not that. We're not that. I was not occupied by that when I was a little kid. I grew into it. Yeah? And if I grew into it, I can grow out of it. But I can't grow out of it unless I entertain the possibility of that being possible. If I keep taking it to be me, my, my strongest drive is to get it help. Let's civilize it. Let's get therapized. Let's win it over. Let's use affirmations and win it over. You can't, it's like a snake, you know. It doesn't change its nature. If you're really nice to it, sooner or later it's going to bite you anyway. And when you ask, why did you do it? Hey, I'm a snake. Yeah. Self is, selfing's a parasite. It's parasitical. It doesn't have a life. It takes yours. And it feeds on it. Yeah. 
And it uses this opportunity to dump all of its expressions. It can't take form, but it can definitely have an effect here through this form. If, you let it, if it takes you over, you're going to have resentments and fears and harming other people. And you're going to have the incredible amount of anxiety. Yeah? Because all your faith is going to be in, in, into a failed system. Yeah? You can see the true devotees of self, they're flipping out and nothing's happening. Because they're worshipping at this temple of what of there and then. Their minds are totally occupied about thoughts about next week or next year or what possibly could happen. And in what's not happening, anything can happen. Anything. Anything your mind can imagine, it can seem to be real to you. Anything. Yeah? The beautiful thing, there is something else that's going on. Yeah? It doesn't have all those qualities of what's not happening, but it has one quality what's not happening does not have. And that is, it's happening, like right now. This is it. Yeah. You may not like it, but in fact, this is what's happening. And that one quality overrides all the other qualities of what's not happening. The one quality that this is happening, because in what's happening, there is conscious contact. Consciousness is in contact. In what's not happening, there is conscious contact with a mental realm. That is not consciousness. Consciousness is in contact here. It's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and witnessing thoughts like the eye would see a bird fly by. Yeah? That's the feeling we so sorely lack. That's why I believe St. Francis says, what's looking is what you're looking for. What's looking right now is what all of our efforts out here are to acquire. Yet we can't acquire it because we are already that. If you acquire it, you're buying like a... a, a, like a a bogus Gucci, or whatever you want to call it. It may look like Gucci, it may look like a whatever those class are, but it isn't. So this for me was revelatory. And so I was doing these four-step workshops, and when my mind split, I looked at the book and the words, the downloads were unbelievably different. When I saw self, it was so obvious it's a foreign installment. It's something that's not of me, yeah. of what I am. It's acquired my name and my papers, and it's parading itself as me in this theater of, like a porno theater, of there and then. Yes? Jesus. And my attention and interest can't be pried off of it because it's about me. If, you're, if it's not about you, I'll tell you, your interest and attention will split. Yeah? Which is the gauge of your obsession with self, basically. What's fueling obsession is interest and attention. If you didn't have interest in the thought system, no obsession would be produced. It's your interest and attention, and I believe your interest and attention keeps going there because it still fall, fell under the illusion that it's about you. If it's seen not to be you, you'll lose interest in it. You'll lose interest in the thought system. It's like an immunity, and it builds. And therefore, you'll be located right where you are, and this will be the constant, constant deterrent to going into what's not happening. Because you'll be, the first thing you recognize is conscious contact. You sense it, and it feels like a presence, like we call it a higher power. But it says, like, what's going to happen when this starts occurring to you? You're going to lose interest in self and gain interest in others. That's the whole point. And that losing interest isn't just a small amount. It can go really, really far where you thoroughly lose interest in the system of thought. 
and you're not taking your marching orders from there. You're in a position of, I don't know, what's the hell going on here? And yet you're forced to find out, but find out is an incredible form of knowledge. It's very convincing when you find out. When I truly found out I was fucked, it was very convincing. If you waste time trying to convince this, this can act like it's totally convinced and it'll be unconvinced five minutes later. You cannot rely on it. It's binary. Yeah? It's not a sound, stable system. It's yes, no, close, far, good, bad, high, low, love, hate. Yeah? Clo the thing, the close, far is really insane. Because that's where it really plays God. It tells you how close you are and far from God all day. And it says in that whole book, before everything, you've got to quit playing God. But what are we listening to? Take God all day. You know, this whole week's going to suck. You know, I haven't even gotten up yet. Oh, fuck, all right. Oh, oh, great wise one, yes. What should I do if the whole week's going to suck? Oh, fuck it. Yeah. And isn't that the case? That's what alcoholism does. Either very quickly or it works on you. You go to work on Monday and it tells you, you know, I think you're going to get fired next week. So now you're walking around suspiciously, and when you see two or more of your fellow employees gathering around, they, you think they're talking about you. They know I'm going to get fired. They're all fucking conspiring me, you know? So then you go home that night, you, you bitch about it to other friends. They co-sign it, so you got a really juicy story starting to build. Then Tuesday, you go to work, but you get there late. Because fuck it, I'm going to be fired? Who gives a shit? And you stop, and you're not doing a good job, because, hey... They don't, they don't, they don't, uh, <laughs> they don't appreciate me. Fuck them, you know. So by Wednesday, you're called in the office and you get fired. <laughs> and then you go to the bar and you get to be alone and right, yeah. <laughs> and it links you to a point. That isn't enough, though. But now the mind says, all right, it always leads you to one point, and that's fuck it. As soon as you reach fuck it, then it gives you its prime solution. Let's get loaded. Let's sleep with my best friend's wife or something. Let's do something crazy. <laughs> Let's have some fun. Yeah? It's amazing how it sets you up, but it always brings you to fuck it. Always, always the case. And then, as, and you ever see it? It's wild alcoholism. Because if you're a little bit free from it, you're like a horse in a stable. Yeah? There's no saddle on you. You're just eating oats. Everything's sort of cool. Then you see the familiar jockey coming. Oh, no! And you rear up, you're a little bit worried, because every time this fucker arrives, you're, you're in trouble. But like this. But it has a very consoling voice. Don't worry. It's going to be different this time. And it comes, and oh! And then it touches your hair, and your and electricity goes through. Don't worry, come on. Let me just slip my leg over you here. All right? But as soon as it gets on, it's not talking in a form of convincing. It's talking as you. Haven't you ever seen that? It's yapping. Oh, yeah, you should. Oh, fuck it. But then you're in front of 7-Eleven at 6 in the morning. There's no convincing anymore. You're on the run. It's taking you over. The parasite's got you, and it's going to ride you until it's, it's tired or until your body collapses. Yeah? Or the authorities stop you, pretty much. Yeah? It's always it, the possibility. Here, it doesn't it sometimes when it's talking, it sounds like it's something trying to convince you, as if there's two things in there? Why not? Yeah, let's, that won't be bad. Let's just do a recreational shot of heroin. Yeah. Let's just hang out for a little while. Let's go to, let's go to the strip joint. Yeah, we just want to look in, see what's happening. Oh, yeah, yeah. But as soon as there's a complying, because alcohol can't pick up a drink, alcoholism. It needs the host to comply. For it to get its fuel, it needs you. Yeah? It needs to convince the apparatus that it's a good idea to drink. And as soon as you drink, yeah, it's like the genie comes out of the bottle. 
And so let's say you had a little streak of jealousy. You add some alcohol into it, now you're, being, you're brought up on stalking charges. Yeah? Everything gets amplified, and it just goes off. Yeah? And, it's all, and it can't, you can't see alcoholism. You can take an x-ray. You can never see it. You can see its effects maybe on some organs. You can't see it. It's a mental parasite. And how it does it, it's such a hostile thing. If you've been taken over by it, it is a hostile ride, isn't it? It will treat you mercilessly, and it will keep taking you lower and lower, as if it's never going to end, you're never going to hit a bottom. It's just relentless. Yeah. How does it get away with it? If it's a, such a hostile takeover, it would seem that the host would immediately throw it off, wouldn't it? Just like when you get you know, bit by a mosquito or you find a tick on you, you immediately rip the freaking thing out, don't you? There's a response. It's pretty quick. This is, fuck this. But here, this thing has taken us over. Very hostile. How does it stay in place? How does it keep managing and running the whole show? Because it convinced the host that you're the parasite. You're taking yourself to be what it's saying you are. A fucking self. So you can't entertain being free of it. How, you may hope for it, you may swear that you do anything to get rid of it, but you can't get rid of yourself as a self. You can't get out of self as a self. You can't get out of self as a self. You study two years about obsession with self. That could be construed as obsession with self. Yeah? It's sort of like playing God. You realize, hey, well, I'm going to quit playing God. That would be playing God, wouldn't it? I'm going to quit playing. I'm going to play God by quitting playing God. Then, okay, well, I'm going to quit playing God and quit quit playing not playing God. And yeah, it would go. It never ends. You never get to a point where you arrive out of self, because self, the sense of being a you, is produced by a mental process. I didn't have it when I was a kid. The first year or two of life, they have research that there is no sense of other, and there's no sense of being a you. There's just consciousness moving through a body. That's why you're so attracted to kids when they're babies, because they're fucking immediate and spontaneous, because they don't have a construct of time where they could be somewhere else, yeah? So we grew into this thing. And if we grew into it, we can grow out of it. And I'll tell you, you'll know the problem by the solution. Seriously. It's like someone, if you were born, when you were born, someone put a hand on your shoulder, and it's been there this whole time, you wouldn't know it was there. Because it's always been there. And your mind would come up with great elaborate stories why your one shoulder droops and why you can't put a shoulder bag on here and all your sleeves are longer on this side and whatever. Make up, blame your parents or something like that. And you may feel like you're so right, I really know what the problem is, but you don't have a freaking clue. But when it's lifted, then you know, yeah? By its absence, you know it, yeah? That's exactly what it's like. When the selfing lifts, when the idea of being a self lifts, you'll know that was the problem. Beyond a doubt. Beyond not a shred of doubt. It's been recognized. It's like the last answer. Aha! That's that. That's that. But you can't know it as it. Yeah. Like it says in the book, self-knowledge avails us nothing. That sounds like a weird statement. Yeah. It would seem knowledge is held in such high regard that acquiring knowledge would be very helpful to you. 
But he's saying self-knowledge avails us nothing. So if selfing is the movement of claiming, so let's say knowledge is presented to you, and the selfing claims it to be the one who's getting the knowledge, it would neuter the knowledge's effect to lead you to freedom. Yeah? Because now self has sucked it up. Yeah? It just morphed it right into its system. Yeah? So it says self-knowledge avails you nothing, but knowledge can be quite freeing. If knowledge could get in there and not hijacked by the idea of being a self, it could have an incredible power. Yeah. It could produce a view that will lead to a vision. Yeah. The view is pretty good while you're traveling here, but the vision is great because it's always available at all times. Yeah. The view is like an understanding that can help you out of seeming... Uh, messes, but the vision is where you see through the mess. Yeah? And we have the eyes to see. We just have a pair of glasses on, like Chuck C. said. He says a new pair of glasses to correct the distortions of the old pair of glasses, which is alcoholism. But what's the biggest problem about alcoholism? You take them to be your eyes. You don't see them as a foreign installment. You think they're you. Yeah? How are you going to take your eyes off? You'll just keep buying new glasses that try to correct the distortion, but there will always be a distortion. When you realize these are glasses and you take them off, that's seeing. Everything else is a form of looking. Yeah? But that's seeing, and seeing is incredibly convincing. Yeah? It's like this very strong download, and you just have an unspoken yes in your gut. And from that point on, instead of entertaining to get some relief, you start entertaining freedom from. And it produces goods, you know. It really delivers the goods. You get to have a that sense of irritability, restlessness, and discontent flips over, and now you mostly live in an ease and comfort. And instead of this irritability, agitated state, you're in a peaceful state. Yeah. Just the whole enchilada flips over. And it's not like... Then, like, instead of having experiences of gratitude, your view, your attitude is infused with it, yeah? You have a grateful attitude now. Another have, instead of having experiences, they turn into states you can visit, yeah? And you can enjoy peace of mind, and you'll feel this new power flow in, and you'll sense the conscious presence of a higher power, yeah? You'll be reborn. words don't do it justice, really. For me, I like freedom. I really do. I don't want to have to wait another hour to get it. I don't want to have to hope that a retreat I'm going to do next week is going to bring it about. I want it every moment, every day, at every time, always available, with no requirements necessary. And the only way it can be like that is to be that. Yeah? If you separate yourself and make yourself something else, it's always going to be a journey. You can't take a journey back to you. You're already there. Yeah? Every journey is an act of denying the fact that you are already that. Yeah? This is so more immediate. It's just, uh, and it's like dog shit awareness. You're just on. There's nothing mystical or mythical about it. You're just on. <laughs> You're just conscious of being conscious. Yeah? It becomes the dominant <coughs> reference. Instead of self-centered, it's centered now. You're not self-centered anymore. They're centered. And the quality of life is totally different than self-centeredness and centeredness. Yeah? 
if the if the situation provokes or lends uh, the possibility of relaxation, you can relax quite easily. Yeah. If there needs to be an action taken, the action is taken. You're almost like in an I don't. You're in a, a need to know basis, and you don't get a huge amount of information. You just know what to do next. It's very economical. You really travel a lot lighter. And I see, for me, it just illuminated the whole program of AA. I couldn't believe it when I read the word self in the book, how many downloads have happened. And, I, and all of them distilled into one thing. I'm not that. I'm not that thing I took myself to be. I don't know what I am, but I'm very clear about what I'm not. And as soon as I broke that bondage, I didn't break it, it was broken. Man, relief has flooded in, and it's just stabilized. I travel pretty well over like 13 years now. And I don't need to read books to verify that. I know it in my own gut. I, can, I know how it is every day because I remember how it was. Yapping about, you walk in a room, do you actually experience walk in a room or do you experience all the yapping about, did anyone see me walk in the room? Is that person I want to see? Yeah? I mean, why do you, you know, if I'm going to go to the bathroom, why does my head have to tell me I'm going to the bathroom? It should be self-evident I'm going to the bathroom. Why is it that I need this, this ongoing narration all day about a life worth living? <laughs> it just blows my mind. <laughs> really, it's, it's insane. <laughs> so when you put down the rock, and if it's not you, I'll tell you, you won't look back. So when the siren of the self goes, oh, baby, you won't give a shit what's singing. You'll just walk away and you'll be free. Yeah. But that's what it usually does. It always calls you back and you go, oh. As soon as it gets you, you're up the ass of self again. <coughs> yeah. It's dark up there. Yeah? It's like if we're in this room like we are, let's say I turned off, we turned off the lights. Yeah? What would happen if we turned off the lights? It got really dark. A lot of problems would ensue. Yeah? If you needed to go to the bathroom, you may not be able to see the door. And if you got up, you may bump into people and hurt your, hurt your legs and stuff and cause resentments. They'd be pissed off at you hitting them. And so what happens is, we do is, okay, we uh, start getting knee pads, yeah? We start getting elaborate, like, voices, and then we buy maps of someone, you know, from someone who said they once saw the bathroom, you know, one day when the lights were on, you know, five bucks. Or I'll take you there, you know what I mean? I'll be your guide, yeah? <clears throat> and all this stuff happens. But instead, why not just find out the light? Turn on the light. All the problems dissipate. They don't have any existence except because the light seems absent. Yeah. I say you're the light. I say everything else is an artificial light. You are the light. You are what makes the book of AA living. You are. You are which changes the meaning of things that you wrote over the years. You are. It's the mind. The mind is alive. The mind, when it comes out of that mental yogic posture of selfing, yeah, it unfurls, you sense it. It's available. It's big. It's like in, in, if you see service, if you've done service in AA, it feels like you're confined, right? Claustrophobic. And so you take the suggestion, go help someone else. You know, Get out of your head, help somebody else. So you do. And you, a lot of times you get a result where you feel available, yeah? Like you're bigger than you were of like an hour ago. Yeah? And then when you feel available you have the opportunity to sense a presence. You feel that higher power. You know what I mean? 
And you would expect, oh, going out with that girl would have done a lot more to me. But you, just helping a, a, a new guy seems to have brought a lot more than you were. You know? <clears throat> and then this happens a lot. You go back into the cave of self, and then you need to do service to get that sense of availability and get that sense of presence. What would happen if your mind entertained that you're the presence? Instead of the idea of Paul, who has to do service. Maybe if you are the presence then that would make you available, yes? Because that's the name. Presence means it's present, yeah? So you'd be available. And when you're available, what are you? You're of service. When you're available and present, you're of service. That's the whole point, like the fifth step. You're just holding the space for that person, yeah? You're available and present. It's a beautiful, beautiful state. Could you imagine that being your actual natural condition instead of this mental one? which has to do service to get out of itself. What would happen if you were out of yourself consistently, then you'd be of service. <clears throat> yeah. Then you would maybe live by the spirit of rotation. You wouldn't have to do an H&I commitment for 30 years. You'd let new people do it. Yeah, Because you'd be filled. You wouldn't be seeking to get filled anymore. You'd be expressing instead of acquiring. Yeah? It would shift everything. That's what a psychic change does. It initiates a shifting out of one state of mind called self-centered to another state called centered. And they, all, they basically have their own different expressions. And you'll be the liver of those expressions. Yeah. And I find the ones from centeredness are much more benevolent and uh, loose and light than the other ones. Way lighter. And I find traveling lighter is the way to go. And so this is our tribe, and there's a lot of production of suffering from the alcoholic mind. And, you know, people leave our tribe, and it's not like they join another club. They die a lot of the times. It's a big game here. It's a heavy game, alcoholism. And I've seen a lot of people in one night, because destruction only takes a minute. It takes a long time to build things up, but destruction takes, like, one night. I've seen people, 18 years of uh, a life get erased in one night, you know, from drinking and using. And they must have been led to a fuck it. They must have been to a point where that little snake up there convinced them to do something that was truly unwise. And once it takes, has you, you're on a, it's going to ride you like a jockey, you know. All, I've, now I've seen people with huge spiritual resumes, and it didn't do them any good. They got taken over by the parasite, and all that practice went right out the window, and they were in a motel on Lombard Street smoking crack in three days. <laughs> so It's like a big dog. Right now it's asleep, so you get the run of your life. You don't want that dog to wake up, alcoholism. You do not want to even get a bone near it. Once it sniffs a possibility, it starts... <laughs> and once it wakes up, you don't have the run of your life anymore. You gotta you gotta walk it. You gotta clean up after it. You gotta feed it, and it's voracious, and it's insistent. Yeah. And what seemed to be oh, I don't even hear that anymore. It will be like a megaphone is up there. Yeah? You'll be hearing the thought system louder than you ever heard it. Yeah? So I don't know. There is a solution, and it's freedom, really. freedom from. 
then you're like a free-range alcoholic. You, know? you get to show up like this. I'm getting old now. I don't even. I never met Laurie, and I just come here. It keeps me on my toes. I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, I have no escape route. I don't have a car or anything. They could block me up and torture me or something. Who knows? Yeah, but it's really cool to still keep yourself on your toes. You know, just go into uncertainty, knowing that all's well. You know, just check things out. Before, you know, you hid it under that sense of thinking you knew. Yeah. To me, it just it kept me so small. And uh, you're not going to know that the, the quality of the higher power is that it can catch you unless you fall. Everything else is just fucking talk, really. If you, unless you surrender, and then if the surrender is really clear, it'll turn into surrendered, which is a stabilized form of surrender which I really like, because the other one is more uh, dramatic, is you surrender, then you take it back, then you surrender and take it back. This is, there's no taking it back. There's a, an understanding of certain principles, the mind's convinced of it, it's done deal. Yeah? You're convinced, and that's surrendered. Yeah? It's not glamorous, it's really not that exciting, but I'll tell you, man, it's really, really peaceful. Nice, stabilized sense of presence. Any questions? Questions? You can feel it in the room now. Yeah? To me, it's that loving God expressing itself. Yeah, that's it. I have a question. Yeah. Um, <coughs> you know, when I was a little kid, uh, at least I had the benefit of somebody terrifying the shit out of me, so eventually I could look back and have some sense of that I didn't start out a particular way and something happened along the way. The sense of having this uh, being taken over by what, you, what we call self. I mean, this capacity to have, you know, this is part of my mind that even if I never was an alcoholic and I was just happy go lucky, it, it, there's still a part of my mind that's keeping track of an awful lot of shit. So if I'm driving down the road, somebody cuts in front of me and almost kills me, before I even know what the hell's going on, I take it up as a base of action. And so I'm just sitting here, I'm thinking that. You know, this thing that takes me over, it's, it's not like it just showed up out of the blue. It's like it had a God-given purpose. And, and everybody's got that capacity somewhere in their mind that's keeping track of what's going on. So that so that if it needs to, it can snatch me out of danger. And in a quote-unquote perfect world, it would give me back to me. And that's what happened. I had that experience not very long ago driving down the road, and somebody damn near hit me head on. And, and, I mean, I took immediate defensive action. But, you know, within a few seconds, all was well again. And I thought, oh, my God, this is, this is what's had hold of me for a long time, and I never even knew it, and eventually just thought it was me. And so, uh, you know, I just don't think there's some bad villain, some part of your mind that's designed to take you over. I can go back in my life and tell you that, that at some point I turn my life, my will over to some some built-in part of me that you know I should only be in a micro fraction of my life, and it, it's supposed to be there. And um, I just have a hard time being in a position of complete neutrality, and there being any bad guys. You know, it, it, it is it is a function of completely losing interest and in being anything but perfectly okay, and the all is well you. And uh, that's been quite an interesting. 
to get to a new, I have to reach my pain threshold for, for whatever these ideas that I've had for such a long time to even make, even begin to make a distinction between what I'm thinking is on the screen and reality with what, what is just being made up in that little virtual reality world. And, and it's, it's just, uh, you know, a, a lot of what you shared, I, I find myself sharing that at like treatment centers, not, I mean, not so much in AA meetings. <laughs> But, you know, if I got one shot at somebody, you know, I'll never see him again. It's like, get it, the fear isn't all as well you. And it's, and it's always there, and, it, and, it, and, and there's nothing wrong with you. And, and it is possible over time to, like you said, if you can grow into something, that's the good news, because you can, you can, you can grow out of it. Yeah. Well, that's one of the... a question, but, yeah, but, yeah. but you, you don't mention... You know, the book talks about big instincts on rampage. I mean, it makes it clear, and you look at the inventory, you look at the page where Bill puts these things that look sort of innocuous, you know, his mistress and the, the guy at work and blah, and, you know, none of that looks all that, like, really serious, right? But it's all, I think it all, if, if, you, if you really start doing inventory and take it seriously or do it with a, a sponsor, at some point you drill down to, to what was it when I'm three or four that suddenly the world, for some reason, seemed to get big. It wasn't the fuzzy place that it had been when I was that worry-free, carefree, just here to play kid. And and if I never inventory that, then I end up being what I call a modified stage character. And it just polish it up, polish it up, you know, the, the chocolate covered turd, you just polish it up, polish it up, and look look at how I'm working the steps and what, good, what a good boy I am and I'm not drunk and I'm not getting in trouble and I'm not getting divorced. And, and I have all the stability in my life, but no peace ever. Well, first, uh, let me talk. The idea of self is 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 uh, the sense of claiming. There's no one that's doing the claiming. It's the sense of claiming. And there's a, a aspect of mind you could deem called the working mind that is incredible. It's not based on time. It's very involuntary, just like most of your organs are involuntary. The only one, the only uh, process in your body that's half voluntary is breath. Yeah. Everything is on automatic. The sense of self is psychological. It's the sense of being a someone, yeah, or the doer. As you were talking about, there was a sense of being a doer of all that. That's what the selfing is. It's not the position of neutrality doesn't mean there's no bad guys. This is a dualistic system. There's supposedly good and bad, but neutrality is different. It doesn't mean it erases the two-ness of this place. It just puts you in a position of neutrality. You can't speak of it, you'll find out when you're there. You'll find out what it actually means. Yeah? So it's all that we're talking about here is the sense of selfing, and that that is produced by a mental process, by claiming life that's happening and the, and the processes that are going on. That claiming, it produces an inference that there's a someone there, like you said when you were a kid and this and that. You were never a kid. You. There isn't a you that was a kid. Yeah? This idea of being you that has gone through all these changes, but that one you doesn't change, that is a pro product of a process of mind. Yeah? It wasn't there when this birth occurred. Yeah? So somehow the process kicked in, and now it presents. It's like an organizing principle. Your life is organized under the principle of being a self, that you're the doer and you're the thinker and this and that. I, my sense is there's no one there. Everything is a verb. Yeah? There's no being. There's no divine being. There's just being. 
There's no seer, there's just seeing. There's no thinker, there's just thought. Yeah? There's no feeler, there's feeling. Yeah? And what we are is not a thing. We're consciousness or nothingness. Yeah? So that to me, the most of what people are suffering from is the psychological yapping of the mind, and that is based on the idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Yeah? You're not, you may be able to seemingly do something to, to uh, uh, mute it a little bit or amp it up a little more, yes, but you'll never be free from it as long as there's that feeling of being a you. Yeah? This is not about things changing out here. It's about who is it that's wanting them to change or don't want them to change. Is there a you there? Are you something that's prior to anything that's happening? In other words, before something happens, there's a feeling that you were there, yes? Is that feeling real, or is it contrived, or is it made up? Yeah? Just to see. Maybe what's presenting to be you is a phantom. And I'll tell you, there is such relief when you're not the doer. Doing happens, but this idea is way... Look it, you know, in, the big, in AA it says, there's a, the first step starts out with, we're powerless over alcohol. Yeah? So it would if you look at it that way and you've lived under it, it's sort of like you've been dancing with a gorilla. Yeah? You're gonna stop when the gorilla wants to stop. Yes? And it would be very simple. You could be free from all the guilt and shame about those behaviors because you had no say in the matter. Something overrode that, yeah? But and so the branch of guilt and shame, the only place guilt and shame can rest on is that you're the doer. This is selfing the sense of being the doer, then it rips with, I shouldn't have done that, or I should have done this, as, as if you have a possibility of not being where you are. I should have been somewhere else, but you're here. Yeah? That's why when you're a kid, that's some of the freedom. Your mind hasn't set up the possibility that it could be somewhere else. So you're just here. Yeah? And there's an incredible attractiveness when you see a kid, because they're here. Then the mental process kicks in, but I could be somewhere else. Then it's fucked. Then every, min, then every year gets judged as being not enough or compared to a great moment in the past or it gets invalidated with a mythical idea about a great moment that I'll get to. This is selfing. Yeah? And it's shitting all over life. The working mind works. The, the intuitiveness of mind is unbelievable. The downloads that mind can receive are unbelievable. It can entertain everything and anything. But when it's identified as a self, it's entertaining everything through the format of a self. So it can't entertain being okay now. It entertains, I will be okay. I was once okay. And it's always based on you. You're going to be okay because I'm going to do something. It's like the, the spotlight never comes off the self. You're written into every, every page of the story. Yeah? Even when it says it happens with no thought or effort on your part. I mean, no thought or effort, in other words, the whole premise of you, which is thought and effort, has been dismissed. And then you're placed in a position of neutrality. Uh, you know, for me, the mind is unbelievable. When, and the body's unbelievable. If it's seen as a you, it's great. It's when it's seen as me, it's not enough. It should look better. It should do, you know. Yes? Yes, yes. And what we're saying here is that 
the, the drive to be in a moment is pointless because you can't be out of a moment. If you looked at every surveillance camera, you're on it, you know, in your life. You have all, you've been at every moment of your life, yeah? You may have been thinking you were somewhere else, but you were there as a you. The body was there, yeah? So if you can't be out of a moment, then there's no, then the, the, the illusory drive of trying to get into it is dismissed. And then you really know you're in it, yeah? In the same way with things. You can't be a self, so this whole drive to get out of self is just another form of being in self. When you realize you can't be in self, that's out of self. And it's an absolute, in a way, yeah? You're never going to be a self. You're something, well, you're nothing prior to that. You're like spirit or consciousness, or whatever you want to call it, like the, the medium of mind, the uh, unseen context, yeah? Do I stop here, really, you know? Like they say in the Bible, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Then the kingdom of heaven would have a very small parking lot if it was in this body. Yeah? Obviously, they're not talking about a body as a you. They're talking about you as what you really are. Yeah? Context. Everything's in the context. But of course, our identification as a body, we take the qualities of spirit and, and, and graft them onto us. Yeah? We're not seeing. We're not, the, we're not the seer. Yeah? They're seeing. That's so, what's so beautiful about it. There's no ownership. There's no privatization. You can let yourself off your own hook. You can finally be forgiven. Yeah? No more mea culpas. Get on with living. Really. Once I realized, jeez, you know. Especially I had a great example of alcoholism. When I drank and used, I was taken over. And that thing expressed through me as long as I was still drinking and using. And to, to make an absurd idea that I shouldn't have done that was insanity. It's the arrogance of selfing to think that I could have done anything different when I was under the influence of that stuff. Yeah? If I shoot up dope, I'm going to be a rat. Because I need more dope. And whatever would be a constraint to that will disappear over time. Whatever... Morals I had would be dismissed over time. The imperative would be to get relief. And nothing's going to stop me. Yeah? What happened? Did, did that person suddenly change? The mental system shifted. Yeah? The addictive mind got underemphasized, and now what you call the recovered mind is emphasized. And so now it's expressing a total different way than it was before. Yeah? But what would happen if I shot Coke tonight? I'd probably come in here and pass the baskets immediately. <laughs> so I could get some money to go get some drugs. I'd be walking around Austin, probably. Trying to go into Magnolia. Hey, you know where I can get some Coke? <clears throat> all bets would be off, probably. Yeah, because the physicality would override all your little mental spirituality, man. So, I don't know. I... Uh, it's not about there's no bad people. You have the recognition of them. But you don't claim them to be the bad person. You just see, to me, there's lots of mental wins like greed and jealousy and malice. And they use these opportunities to express. So they express to you. Yeah? But to say you're greedy and you're angry is just being identified with some other energy's expression. It's insane. It's insane to... to become the owner of those movements. You'll never get out of the story. I'm an angry person. 
Yeah? It'll solidify. It'll become like a concrete block. And you'll be, your energy will be to verify that the rest of your fucking days, so you're right. This is about much more loose and fluid, yeah? Of course, a tons of shit happened through me, and I'm accountable for it. Yeah? But I'm not that which did it. I was taken over, just like everyone in this room. It may go take great lengths in you, maybe lesser lengths in others. But it's the same parasite. It's been recognized. We have a way out of it. Yeah? And for me, I feel the way really out of it is realize you've never been in it, in a sense, the way you feel like it. To really be in something, the farthest way of feeling like you're in it is to be it. Yeah? I mean, you can't get more in something than that. So it's sort of like... Uh, you see those movies where the, uh, this crazy lady is identified with a heroine, you know, like a big movie actress, and she starts wearing the same clothes and gets plastic surgery to look like her. <clears throat> and she tries to date the same people, and then she kills them, you know, and all right, that. And you think, man, well, that lady went really far, you know? And she wants to become the this, this starlet, yeah? She wants to take on the starlet's ident- identity. And this, you would say, that's an extreme obsession. But we're way past that. We're identified already. <laughs> I mean, seriously. This identification is having obsessions day in and day out. The biggest obsession's never seen. The mind's addiction to this idea of being a self. Of being a me. Yeah, the I and the you work very well. It's the me that gums up the works. Because it mixes the two. So you think you can do yourself into I. You can't do yourself into a spiritual condition. You are a spiritual condition. This me cannot become anything because it has never been anything. Yeah, It's just a phantom. It's just appearing in our thought system. And we're listening to that station so we live as if it's so. Yeah, But if you keep asking it, it will never show up. You'll never, it will never come and address you. You'll never see it. Because there's no one there to be seen. It's just a freaking idea. Like the oldest idea. It says, unless you let go of all your old ideas, to me this is the oldest idea, that you're a self. <clears throat> all the other ideas are easily let go of. This is the one. If you let go of this, it reverberates through all the other ideas. <clears throat> yeah, so... I'm just sharing it, sharing it with you, you know. I've gone through a little situation with it. Maybe it, was un- maybe it was crazy to entertain it, but something happened. Yeah? My whole career ended. I could have probably been a circuit speaker. You know what I mean? It was like the worst career choice to ever get, take this, because uh, people love to hear it, but when they go home and think about it, they don't like it much. You know? <laughs> Once the thought system claims it, it made into something, bastardizes it totally. Yeah? And I'm supposed to become obsolete. It's a really bad career choice. Yeah? Because you are that, which we're just uh, inviting you to look. Yeah? You are already that. There's no need for me. I'm like a mailman. I'm just dropping you off the inv- invitations like a spiritual subpoena. And I've done my job. You've been served. You know what I mean? I've done my job. My job's complete. I'll leave Austin and I, it's over. Yeah? That's all my seat assignment is. And it, that seat assignment could change. But right now... I get asked to speak, and how could I, like last night, I was trying to share my story, but this imperative just comes over me, because it's like a quantum leap from doing and having. It's just like a constant, incredible shift into a, a realm that you can't, first of all, you can't entertain it, because you have no idea what it's like. You can only find out. 
can't know it. There's no fucking way. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's just like a super urge to share it because you're in the same tribe, and I know what your mind is like, and I know how much suffering can be made out of nothing. Yeah, yeah. more it wasn't it wasn't immediate it was more like being dyed like a cloth put being put into dye the more it got dumped one point it came up and it was solidly brown yeah you couldn't see the remnants of the old color anymore and it didn't it didn't fade or bleach out yeah so it's sort of like a certain amount of the, of my interest the interest and attention like over 51% went on the side of no thing and that changes everything because the mind's interested in being a thing, so it's it's drawn into getting involved with things all day, and it doesn't sense the space that we're in, yeah, which is nothingness. Yeah. yeah. If you see it, if I had this, if I move this, let's say this chair's here, and it's been here for like 40 years, let's say it was more like a throne, yeah, and that throne had a lot of important asses that sat on it, and then, you know, it's like a stable of this room. Every time you walk in, you see it. And let's say if I move that chair moved it away out of your sight. Did I have to rush into a closet and get space to fit that chair so that the space that the chair was taken up, I had a, you know what I mean? Because if I didn't put space there, you'd be confronted with the void. <laughs> it would scare the shit out of you. But in fact, no. Actually, the, the chair was just taking up. It wasn't taking up space. It was appearing in space, yeah? I didn't have to put some space in where the chair was, did I? If we took the wall down now, we wouldn't have to call the warehouse to send us a 20 by 20 huge piece of space. Yeah? The wall's an appearance in the space. Yeah? It's just like, let's say, a uh, sky. Not the clouds in it, but the sky. Let's say uh, you have 4th of July explosions in the sky. Does the sky get ripped open with the 4th of July explosions? When it rains, does the sky get wet? Or does it hit the earth and then wet in the earth? Yeah? When a plane's flying through the sky, you very rarely hear them call up the terminal and say, I ran into a big chunk of sky up here. Yeah? Everything, a lot of shit appears in the sky, but they don't leave any trace on the sky. Yeah? The, the chair is an appearance in space. It's not, it's not in, from the space's point of view, it's actually not real. Yeah? Because it has no effect. The effects on the chair would be seen on the floor and on a wall if it was hitting it, yeah? It, its effects can only be registered by other appearances, but not in the space, in a sense. What's the difference between the chair and me? If I moved away, did it look like I took up any space? This is an appearance in space. I would say the space is like our mind, yeah? It allows all this stuff to show up, and there's an experience called living here, but it's the context of all that. Yet, the content never influences or affects it. So the possibility, I'm not saying it's always available, but the possibility of immunity to the effects of things is available. Yeah? And at least 
the effects of things on you, meaning thoughts and all this stuff, will probably diminish, yeah? And you'll be able to enjoy peace of mind. You'll comprehend the word serenity and you'll know peace, like it says in our book. And the things will be new, a new freedom and a new happiness. Not an old freedom, an old happiness like the mind thinks about, the conditional mind, but a new one that will surprise you yeah, when you find out about it. Yeah, this is what happens. The mind's alive. It's just, it's just been put into like a shoebox called selfing. Yeah? And the shoebox is too small for it, really. So it unfurls. So, uh, you know, if I hit this table, it's going to hurt the appearance, but can I hit this space? Yeah? And can I remember space? Can I say, oh, I saw this space in San Francisco three months ago? No. Yeah? My mind can't think about this in the past or the future. It's just space. Yeah? That's the beauty of it. It's no thing. The mind doesn't know what to do with it, so it doesn't give it any value, but no thing is the most valuable thing. No thing is the one thing we haven't received. We've gotten tons of some things, but no thing is a beautiful gift. To sit in nothing, that pause, yeah? And sit in there and maybe recognize your original face in it. You are not of, like Jesus supposedly says, you're in this world, but you're not of this world. Well, check out what it seems to be to be in the world. It's a thing, yeah? Things and time and space. But to be, if he's saying you're in it, you know, it's, but you're not of it, then you must not be of time. You must not be of thing. You must be of no thing. I think it's nice to let it come in and become more influential in one's life, if you have any say in the matter. It's so dense here with things, you know. So many, the thoughts are so fucking heavy and feelings and everything. You need a little space. <laughs> Lighten up the situation. So that's what I feel. So that's it, eh? Tonight? Yeah. Thanks. Oh, we'll pass the basket.